This episode is brought to you by our friends at Book and Street. Book and Street provides finance and accounting solutions for startups in the Midwest and beyond. From strategic financial support to bookkeeping and everything in between, they've got your back office covered. Let their experienced team of finance and accounting professionals help your startup get it right, right from the start. Learn more at bookandstreet.com and set up your free 30-minute consultation with their team today. 614 Startups Nation, welcome to another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. Listen, guys, I tell you all the time, I'm excited about this guest. I'm excited about that guest, but I'm super pumped for this guest. We're going to get into personal. We're going to get into business. We're going to have fun. This is going to be a great episode, and we're going to learn something. I think we're going to learn something on this episode. I have a very special guest, Amelia Gandara. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Gandara. Yeah. Gandara. Okay. I missed it. It's cool. I tried. It's all good. I'm trying to broaden myself culturally. So I got to take these shots, right? Even yeah. if I can't say it on, uh, uh, right on the first try. And you are with Nationwide Ventures. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I'm excited. All right. So I connect with people on LinkedIn and it took us a while to get connected, but we finally did. And I was excited because that felt like a warm intro, even though I knew of you, follow you on social, on Instagram. Yeah, which if you're my fiance for years. That's right. And, you know, he, he's number two, right? We're, we're not even going to talk, talk about him right now. It's all about you, okay? So, but I follow you on Instagram, super cool Instagram page. And I was so glad to be connected on LinkedIn. And now we're talking business. So I know of you. I'm just like the audience as well. I want to know you more. So why don't you start with a bit of your background and we'll go from there. Yeah, okay. I'll start, I'll start a little bit from the, from the beginning because I think, I think it's helpful. So, um, so I grew up in, in Yuma, Arizona. So I grew up in, in Arizona in the Southwest. Uh, didn't grow up in the Midwest. Didn't have a, a connection in the Midwest at all. But what I did have was a, was a passion and a love for ballet and, and dance. And when you are passionate about dance, there's so few jobs in the world. That when you when when you when you reach high school and you're still serious about it, you either audition for a dance company or you get into a college. And everything that I auditioned for was in the Midwest. I auditioned for the ballet in Columbus, Ohio, in Louisville, Kentucky. I got accepted into Butler University in Indianapolis. These were these were all for dance, and it's just so weird. I, I must have been destined to live in the Midwest because everything took me there. All roads led led to, to Ohio and Indiana or, or Kentucky, and, and I ended up in Kentucky. I danced professionally there. I danced in, in Missouri. I, I decided, you know, it was, a, it was a fun but really hard life. So I went to engineering school in Kentucky. That's where I met my partner who ended up, who was a reason that I'm in Columbus today. But it was dance. It was dance and then it was engineering school. And, um, and sort of that, that winded me around. Lived in Chicago for a short while working for GE. Uh, and now I'm so excited to live in, in Columbus. It's, the city is really growing on me. Now, dance is one of those things. It's like doctors, right? So it kind of runs in the family, right? Is, is dance that's something that runs in your family, culturally? What, what was kind of your early exposure to dance that made you want to dance? That's so intuitive. Yes, my mother was a dancer. My mother danced ballet. She was a cheerleader. She was a gymnast. Um, and she always, I think, regretted that she uh, chose gymnastics and cheerleading as the thing she was going to be really great at because you just at a certain point in your in your development uh, around junior high high school have to sort of choose with which path you want because the the commitment takes you know 20 plus hours a week 
um, if you really want to do any of those things professionally. And so you have to sort of choose. So my mom chose cheerleading and gymnastics. I chose ballet and, and just sort of devoted myself wholly to it on the hope that I could do it professionally someday. So yeah, yeah, it totally runs in the family. Yeah, great. So ballet, right? I, I my only I, I kind of Misty Copeland is kind yeah. of popularizing yeah. ballet yeah. for, you I'm know, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, and, and so ballet feels like a very insulated world. Like you got to, it's kind of like opera, right? I couldn't name like who's the, the, the great tenor right now, but then there was like Pavarotti or something that kind of popularized the m- movement for like the average person on the street can say Pavarotti, right? When they're talking about opera. For you, was there that person that you kind of looked up to, to say, you know what, this person really is, inspires me, like how uh, kids who play sports might have somebody that they look up to. Who was it, who was that person for you in the ballet world? I think that's such a, a wild thing to talk about because I, I just had this conversation recently with friends when they were asking me like, you know, what was dancing professionally like? What, what did it feel like for you? Why, why did you decide to devote all of your time, you know, after, after school doing, you know, training to do this thing? And, and I had to think about it and explain to them that like when I was dancing, it was 2004, five, six, seven was when I was in high school we didn't have Instagram and we didn't have YouTube, which like is mind blowing now. Cause it like really doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Um, but we didn't have any of those tools. So I didn't have all these idols. What I had was a dance magazine that I would receive once a month. I think it was actually so, such a small publication. It was only published once every two months and you flipped through this magazine and that was it. Like those were your idols. So there was, there was Julie Kent in New York. Misty Copeland was like just starting her career. So she was on the cover once. And I just, I remember it now because they, they posted it on Instagram recently where they like, remember this cover? And I'm like, oh my God, I do remember that cover. But like, that was the exposure. The only way to watch other professionals at the top of their game was on DVDs and VHSs that one of the, that one of the you know, moms, dance moms happened to have. You didn't have this ability to watch the best perform and then emulate that. Like I couldn't train at home based off of these other videos that I can watch, which is just like this incredible opportunity that we all have now that I think as I approach, you know, I, I don't dance ballet professionally anymore, but I still try to stay engaged in the dance world. I, I'm doing all types of aerial arts. I'm, I'm learning contortion right now, which is just sort of an extreme form of flexibility, which is just all these things that I can, I can, I can not only watch other great dancers, with COVID, all my, all my instructors are online too. So I'm watching, I'm taking Zoom classes with, with, with dancers all over the world, or I'm taking a private from a, you know, the best person who can help me with my back flexibility in Seattle. And I'm training in, in pole with, with a woman in Canada right now. And it, it's just like this incredible access that, that I just like forget that I have to just appreciate so much because I didn't have it when I was actually training. All right. Now you're talking about dance. I see you floating out of your chair a little bit. So th- th- this is your world, right? I can, I can... a whole podcast on this, which is not the point of this podcast. So <laughs> Listen, okay. So before you made a statement, right, where you said the fallback career was engineering and then yeah. all the engineers like threw their phones at the wall because there's, there's something about you saying it that way that makes it seem like dancing might be a little bit tougher than this engineer thing or maybe making it in the dance world is, is, is just a, a different animal. So as you were looking at other things to do, did you kind of have a, hey, I'm a great dancer, but I also have a knack for math, science, and all these other, why was that kind of a natural thing to go to? It's not necessarily adjacent, right? It's kind of a different world. 
it's, I think there's, there's two big points to make there. One is the transferable skills. And, and two is, is just knowing what careers were available to me. And I, and I think that, that first, I'll, I'll, t- I'll touch on the second one first, which is that the only person I knew that had graduated college and was successful in my family was my aunt. My aunt and, and my mother is also successful and, 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 you know, other people in my family were successful. But the person who had gone to college, which was a thing that, you know, I was raised to expect, be, be expected to do, was my aunt who went to college, became an aerospace engineer, worked at Boeing, works for the FAA now. And so when I was assuming, like, what am I going to go get a four-year degree in? I, I, I picked engineering because it was the only degree field that I had known anyone to have, which, 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 which again, blows my mind today because everyone becomes the doctor or the dentist or the lawyer that they saw their parents be because, and I realized that that's, that's the exposure. So I had no idea that when I joined engineering, I was going to be one of only, you know, a handful of women in these classes because the only engineer I had ever known was a woman. The only person in my family who had ever graduated with a four-year degree was my aunt who was an engineer. So when I was like trying to go be a dancer, but having to fill out all these college applications in case, you know, I broke my leg at any time, I just checked the engineering box. So I just like thought that was the natural path. Yeah. And, and we take for granted how important images are, right? What you see as a little kid opens your, it, it decides how you see the world. And it's mm-hmm. important that, you know, you kind of have the story about dance uh, and then engineering and that just feeling so open to you, right? Those opportunities feeling yeah. so open. And so you, you go to school um, and you get your engineering degree, and this is at Louisville, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it's at, it, it's at Louisville. And I, I think you know the the, the other point I had, I'd sort of meant to make there was was sort of the transferable skills of these degree fields that seem very difficult maybe to a lot of people. You have to think about it from the perspective of of what I was doing. I had started dance when I was five years old. I fully committed to dancing, you know, 10, 15, 20 plus hours a week. By the time I was in junior high which is a, a decently young age to start like deciding to devote to that much time to do something. So I had spent, you know, in my mind, since I was five until I was 18 to train to be a dancer, to get to dance it professionally for a couple of years. I looked at a four-year degree, regardless of what it was. And I was like, oh, four years? I see what that salary is over there. I was making $200 a week dancing professionally. I can go make, you know, a base salary of at least $65,000 go being an engineer after only just, you know, four years of work. This, this sounds like a no-brainer. So I, I, you know, to me, I was like, oh, calculus for a semester, I can figure that out. Okay, Cal 2, I can figure that out. And it, I think it just gives you a different perspective in terms of like of dedication and work ethic. You, you take these things, and I think a lot of people can take it from, from art or from sports or for anything. When you think back about how much, how much time you spent to be great at something, it sort of makes the, that four-year degree seem seem a lot more approachable, or at least that was my perspective. All right. Well, I mean, I like it, right? <laughs> because, like you said, those skills are transferable. It's this, it's this desire, right, to accomplish that's quite necessary to be successful and makes so much sense in this world of startup. Completely stacked against you in terms of success rates. So, let's talk about your role now and how you got there. So you go to school, you get the degree, what's the path to leading nationwide ventures? And is it linear or is it this squiggly line that kind of goes all over the place? 
Oh, I, I think my whole life has been a squiggly line, but, but, but in the best and a way that I'm so appreciative of, I was starting my master's program in engineering. And at the time I was approached by GE, um, GE appliances is, bla- is based in Louisville, Kentucky. And I was already hanging out in the startup scene. I was hanging out in the maker community, going to, you know, startup weekends and things like that, just trying to understand like what, what else is there to do with this, you know, critical thinking engineering degree I'm, I'm getting, you know, where can I apply it? And, uh, and, I, and I got a job at GE in, in an innovation team that was building, you know, the, the new cool appliances. And I was like, I want to be a part of that, whatever that is. And I got hired as the social media intern, which turned into a full-time job. So I dropped out of my engineering, you know, master's program, um, just dove into the team. And it was just a lot of different things. I, I helped with partnership management, um, I helped when we had new product launches. It was sort of, it was sort of like this undefined role that was, that was part community manager, part relationship manager. And I was just like, whatever it was, I, I still have a hard time exactly defining all, all of the work, but it, it was in a wonderful way, uh, but in a protected way, sort of what it's like to be in a very you know, early stage company where there's a ton of different work to be done. Now, I don't want to be disrespectful. Doing that in an actual company is way riskier. I was protected by, you know, an annual salary, so I could, you know, take a lot of different risks. Um, but, but the, but the, but the feeling of someone who had just graduated college to get to do so many different roles, um, I was so appreciative, and, and that sort of inspired me to want to to do more in the startup ecosystem. So, in, in Louisville, I went to go work for a group that um, that helped entrepreneurs locally, that gave out um, pre-seed funding, um, that transferred. To, I ended up going back to GE for a short time. And, and all that stuff kind of came together. And it's what I was able to, to advocate for myself when, when I was moving to Columbus and, and I got to join Nationwide Ventures. And so all, all that together became, became the initial role I took at, at Nationwide Ventures, which was one managing partnerships and operations. Yeah. And I know that was the whole story in fast forward. Uh, <laughs> so, so there are a lot of other stops along the way, I'm sure, a lot of different lessons learned. But in considering the transition to Nationwide, what was it about the opportunity that made it the right move for you at that time? So many different factors, um, but, but one was that, that I had loved the, the innovation and product building side of large corporates, but in, in large companies, and this was, this was true at GE as well, when you have an innovation team, you often have a corporate venture team sitting alongside them. They either collaborate or they're actually under the same division. And I was always so curious. I was like, what is this venture group doing? And around the same time, you know, my partner, now fiance, was, was building his company. Uh, and so I was seeing, you know, that side of the table, a founder have to grow from, you know, three co-founders to their first employee, to their first 10 employees, to their first 50, back down to, you know, 10. And then, and then, and then you know, and, and so I was witnessing all of that while doing things in, in sort of the protected space of, of innovation and corporate, corporate innovation. I said, you know, I, I, I want to get deeper. I want to see what this venture world is like. Um, and, and, and there was an early team. So the Nationwide Ventures team was, was two people at, a, at the time, um, two people that, that I got along really well with, deeply respected. And, and I was like, how do I get on this team? Um, I don't have the venture chops to invest alongside you right now, but, but I'm guessing there's probably some operational stuff you need help with and some partnership stuff. And we sort of like created this role that has since become quite popular in venture teams, which is called platform, which is basically all the non-investing services 
that a venture firm offers to, 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 a, to a portfolio company. And so that's how I wedged my way in there and, and have since, you know, as the team has grown from three team members, there's nine of us now, there really are a lot of operational things that, that you need to account for. And so I've been so fortunate to kind of grow into that role with the team. So, so they took a chance on me um, and, and, and I'm hoping that, you know, we, we continue to grow together. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this message from our sponsor. Thompson Hines Quick Launch helps emerging startups get their initial team members onboarded the right way with all the appropriate legal documentation for a fixed, reasonable cost. Every dollar counts for a startup and making sure that all your team and equity compensation matters are handled appropriately shouldn't be dictated by costs. With the Thompson Hine Quick Launch Team and Equity Matters Bundle, we ensure that you have employee offer letters, NDAs, intellectual property assignments, independent contractor agreements, and advisory board participation agreements. Visit thquicklaunch.com today and get your company and your team set up right. I want to get into kind of the meat and potatoes of, of the thinking at Nationwide when they decided to launch a venture arm. Why would a large corporate want to have a venture arm? What's the case? Oh, yeah. So a lot of different reasons. I, I think what a lot of people, you know, originally thought when corporate venture teams were formed is that it was it was sort of a mechanism to put a little bit of money in and then and then acquire the company someday, right? And so that that's kind of the old thinking. And there's some sort of stereotypes baked in there that maybe we can we can pull apart, you know, over the, over some of our time together, you know, today. But really, it's it's sort of a dual mandate. We're, we're investing for financial returns, and we're also trying to trying to help the business with with their partnership strategy, with 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 helping them become more efficient, right? And so, you know, insurance is a little bit different than maybe the general corporate venture population. In that, when when you form a corporate venture team and you're an entity that's maybe only selling tangible goods or only selling software, you might not have a giant investment platform that logically makes sense to then carve out a little piece for venture, right? You, you have to create this entire group and give them a sum of money and sort of and sort of give them a mandate to invest. I, I think Nationwide's kind of interesting and insurance companies broadly are interesting and you probably have seen a couple, you know, many different corporate venture firms emerge from, from, from insurance because we already have a lot of, invest, of, of money to invest, right? And a lot of it is done very safely because you're holding on to people's life insurance policies and auto insurance policies and home insurance policies. The way that, that many insurance companies you know, make their money is you, you pay, and then if you have a, an auto accident or, 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 or a home claim, or, or you know, when you have a life insurance policy, someone passes away, like that, that is when the insurance company, it is their responsibility to come in and protect you, right? But along the way, uh, insurance companies are investing that money. In, 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 in tons of different things, in, in, in real estate and private equity. And, and, and there's, you know, just, just a ton of different places that, that, that safely make sure that there's going to be more money than, than maybe you've ever paid into the system. Um, and, and so a very small piece of that can be attributed to, to, to venture, right? Because our, we're, we're taking higher risk, but, but hopefully there's higher returns on the other end. Yeah. And so, you know, it's to me, I always find it interesting because there's, there's always the question of how do you spur innovation within a large corporate, right? They, they, they're doing what they do every day and it's, it, it works, right? It, it, it's making them the money, they, you know, it's low risk, it's, it's kind of, where do we go to find innovation? Or where do we go to find that next disruptive thing in our industry? And, that, and that's kind of where I wanna to pivot to the investment thesis and how you guys go about looking for companies to make investments in. 
Totally. Yes. So you know, we're typically investing at the series A stage or later, typically investing around you know, one to five million into a company we're not leading. So, so we're taking a minority position, which typically means someone else is setting the terms of the deal. This happens in most cases. And so we're not taking a board seat. We're, we're usually at most taking an observer seat. Um, maybe we're not taking, you know, e- even that, right? It, it really depends on our check size. And, and that's, that's the case for a couple of reasons. One, we don't want to be, you know, overly influential if, if we don't need to be. And two, you know, we're not typically the first call. Our expertise is, is an insurance and financial service. So in insurance and financial services. So we might, you know, be, be a great partner. We might help you um, distribute a product. You might be distributing a nationwide product. Um, you might be an excellent vendor partner to us, helping us operate, you know, our business more efficiently. But we're probably not going to be, you know, the first call when you have an issue from a talent perspective or something. And so, so I think we try to take all of that, all of that in, into consideration when we're thinking about what is our role to play as a corporate venture firm, you know, for, for anyone's, in, in anyone's cap table. Okay. So uh, it only makes that nationwide would then not only dabble, but make a full commitment to this, right? It, it feels to me you guys are building out a team, even though what you get to invest in terms of the overall uh, portfolio of the way uh, Nationwide uh, grows money is small. I feel like the venture arm is growing. What, is it because of early success? Is it um, with, with your team specifically? Is it just the venture industry as a whole and the growth and the explosion that we're seeing that, that's encouraging this arm yeah, to grow a- even quicker? <laughs> what, what, what do you feel like is driving kind of nationwide's continue, uh, continued desire, right, to grow the venture portion uh, of its portfolio? Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. And, and I think, you know, companies companies can be really impatient, right? And so you expect results in, in a couple of years, but that's not really the mandate of, of a venture arm, right? Like like a venture arm is investing, you know, now for returns, you know, eight, 10, 12 years from now. So, so you're right. How, how do you how do you show those results early? What kind of value can you bring in? And that's that's really in the partnerships angle. And I think, you know, that's that's really what drives our our investment thesis and our, and our focus areas and those, you know, are across insurance and financial services broadly, um, but, but, but to kind of narrow that a little bit, it's the things that Nationwide is, is already strong at, right? So we have a, a, a strong property and casualty side of the business. So we're looking at things in the future of mobility or the life cycle of a home. We have a strong financial services side of the business. We're the strongest in the retirement angle. So we have an investment focus area around living in retirement, which I find super fascinating. And then we have other things that we're looking at. What, what, what is cybersecurity going to look like for the customers that we serve? We have commercial insurance we're strong in commercial insurance and nationwide. And so we're protecting small businesses, medium-sized businesses. Does that mean that we should be caring about um, cybersecurity, you know, for those businesses that we're protecting? Is that something that nationwide is going to build a product for? Or is it something where just the domain knowledge necessary is, is, is sort of out of the scope of our capabilities right now? And so should we find a really excellent partner? And since it's so new, does that mean we should invest in them also? So those are kind of the decisions that we're making as we start to think about the different areas we're, we're focused on from an investment perspective, and then taking all that information and sort of funneling um, the partnership opportunities back into the business. And that's the partnership angle is, is the sort of faster return uh, for the business to see while, while, while we're seeing how the financial returns play out. Well, I mean, that must be really exciting for you because it gets your mind going 
around how a potential company that you're talking to a founder really solves a problem that nationwide might see, right? So am I too far off base with thinking this broadly? I'm going to propose something to you and you tell me if it kind of is like of any interest, right? Thinking really, really broadly about the companies that you look like because I don't want to pigeonhole you in this conversation. Let's say there's somebody developing a polymer of some sort that reduces flood damage in basements, right? I don't know. You spray it on the walls of your basement and it like cuts the costs of like flood damage. Are you guys looking that wide or are you still kind of, hey, let's rein it in here and let's kind of look at things that we could say, hey, we see that this is in the financial industry. How wide are you guys going in terms of companies that solve your problems or, or, or that have big growth opportunities? Yeah, I, I think we have to approach it, you know, in the way that, that probably most investors would say, which is to, to analyze the, the product, the market and the team. And so, you know, quick assessment on, on how big is the market, how big is the potential demand for something like this. And so we still have to take that angle when looking at a potential investment. Whether we invest or not does not prohibit us from, from making that introduction into the business. And so we've, we've made plenty of introductions into you know, worthwhile companies for the business to consider partnering with that we didn't end up investing in, right? We, we just didn't see that we would be able to get you know, venture returns out of this particular company. But that doesn't mean the company shouldn't be a great partner, a great vendor, you know, to Nationwide. And, and so we make sure we make those introductions. To speak specifically about the, the flood, uh, you know, instances, you know, we did invest in a company called Flow, uh, which got acquired by Moen. That was, you know, one of our, one of our first companies that we invested in that has already gotten acquired. So that was, that was very exciting for us. But the company is, a, is an IoT device, so it connects to the main water line. And, and it can help shut off your water if it detects a leak. And, and that's actually, that's really interesting because we were, we, we were talking to, um, to our, our personal lines um, home division. And we said, you know, tell us, what are the biggest claims problems you have w- with the home? And they said, you know what, water, uh, non-weather related water damage, huge problem for us. If you can solve this, there's, there's you know, there, there's a lot to be done here. You know, we, we, we'd love to see something that we can help offer our customers to help us minimize this non-weather related water damage. So that's, that's when a bathtub overflows or, you know, th- things of that nature. So great. Okay. We're going to, we're going to check out the market. We're going to see what's there. And we got really excited about a company invested in it. Um, you know, other people got excited. Moen got excited and, and the company was acquired and, and, and there's a, there's a relationship today with, with our, with our private client division uh, at Nationwide, which is the, the, the division that focuses on, on um, you know, higher end homes where, where they're helping, you know, get that into our, into the customer's hands. So, so it's interesting. So you do see kind of those connections. And so it doesn't have to be a software only insurance product for us to invest. You know, we've invested in, in, in all kinds of, of, of products as long as they're, you know, proving the, the quality of the experience for our customers. And that's great. And we had an email exchange and you talked about the fact that in my day job, I work in the home health and hospice industry, and that nationwide naturally has an interest in the retirement space, right? Or the aging space. So what is your process then, since there are all these areas within financial services where opportunities are lurking, or you guys are experiencing challenges, and you're looking for companies to solve? What is the process that you go through to identify the right investments? I know it's a mix of founders, the market, etc. What's your process there? Yeah, you're right. It, it can it can be muddy. So there's nine of us on the team, and each of us tend to spend time thinking more deeply about different areas. There's two folks on the team, Jake and Hope, that spend most of their time thinking about our living in retirement thesis. So they are not just doing the research and 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 writing the white papers. 
they're, they're meeting folks in, in the industry. They're meeting with founders. They're looking at companies. They're going to conferences or they were going to conferences. And so now they're going to the virtual conferences, right, to, to build up that network to make sure when the next investment opportunity in that space comes about, that they're ready, that they're, they've got the relationships and that, that they're able to write the check. And so that's kind of how we approach, you know, all the different thematic areas, you know, as I'm talking about cybersecurity, home, small business, you know, et cetera. And so we try to spend time, you know, not just going to the general in insurance and financial services conferences, but, but and building our network, but but to like narrowly spend time in these particular areas to become uh, as close to domain experts as we can. And uh, and I, I I I we also talk to the business, right? We also talk to the business units at Nationwide to make sure we get their experience because you you've got people that have been working in you know annuities or or life insurance for like twenty plus years, just like an email away. So so we talk to them as well. All right, and since you're investing at Series A. Um, the companies that you talk to are wide and varied and it may be appropriate now or maybe will be in the future. But what are some things that you like to see um, that get you excited? If all the stars align and it's a right investment, what do you like to see when you're looking at a potential investment uh, when founders approach you or when you are introduced to a founding team? Yeah, yeah. So I, I take it back to, to the basics, right? And obviously when you're when you're, when you're underwriting a deal, when you're actually writing up the the, the doc for, for making the, the investment, you're, you're looking at, at a ton of different things. But but for me to simplify it, it, it's it's product, it's market, and it's team. And each one, depending on the, on, on the stage of the company, you know, different things are, are valued at different at different measures, right? But but at these early stages, when you're looking at a seed company ready to raise their Series A, like that team is so incredibly crucial. And so you want to make sure that they understand their vision. They understand you feel that commitment that they're in this for the long haul. Because one of the hardest things to do is have to replace a founder, replace or replace a CEO, um, you know, early on. So you want to make sure you have a, you, you truly feel um, a strong relationship. Um, you have to feel like you have a strong relationship with, with the founding team and the CEO, but you also want to feel like they have a great relationship with each other because they are going to be in this you know, for, for the long haul. And it also depends on how they set up the company, you know, what, what their vesting schedule looks like, uh, you know, how long have they known each other, you know, and, and those are all the little things that you sort of tease out over the time of getting to know them before you make that investment decision. And I think you can never undervalue that team at the early stages. But then of course, you also have to look like the product, but at the early stages, you just kind of have to assume that that product is going to change a lot. Do I have conviction that this team is going to figure out all the different twists and turns along the way? And then the last one, which is maybe the most obvious, which is the market has to be big enough, right? There are plenty of great companies at all types of sizes, um, but, but venture is just a very specific asset class that is investing on the expectation of, of really large returns on the other end. And so you just have to make sure that you're operating in a market that you feel is going to be big enough for this investment to make sense. Thank you for listening. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this message from our sponsor. When companies large and small need to solve technological challenges, they turn to AWH. AWH has the experience and expertise to help your company create innovative and disruptive products for the web, mobile, and IoT. Leveraging a deep understanding of machine learning, artificial intelligence, and blockchain, combined with the creativity that comes from their entrepreneurial DNA, AWH gives their clients the competitive advantage. Visit awh.net today and tell them about your project. All right, so let's say I'm the bell of the ball. Everybody wants a piece of my company. And now 
you're pitching me, right? I got dollars coming out of everywhere, right? I have the hot company that's going to, you know, next billion dollar exit, right? Why Nationwide Ventures? Why as a founder, right? What do you guys bring to the table that really, really matters when I'm growing my company? Besides yeah. capital. We'll take the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, besides yeah. capital. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, I, I think that that's the partnership relationship that, that we're hoping to bring, right? I, I think I mentioned this before. We, we, we try to do our best to understand, you know, the place we'll have on a cap table. We're not going to be the board seat. We're probably not going to have um, you're not going to call us probably for your next CFO hire, right? But we are going to help you with those with those early partnerships with the business. And, and in some cases, we we have companies that can partner with with multiple divisions of, of of nationwide, which can be very difficult to navigate, right? Any large company just has you know we're a company that has you know I think t- ten different CTOs, right? How do you know which one to talk to? Um, is it the enterprise CTO or is it the CTO of a specific division? Is it the chief digital officer, right? Each one, you know, looking at their LinkedIn might, could be difficult to an outsider to understand who is the right person to talk to. And so us cutting through a lot of that to help you navigate is, is, is what we bring to the table. And, and, and for a lot of the companies that we invest in, you know, if it's their you know, series A, series B, they're, they're, you know, a, a relationship with a nationwide can be extremely valuable. And us helping, you know, navigate those waters can also help them when they're trying to sell their product or service it's to other large insurers. Um, and, and we also have really great relationships with the other insurance, um, you know, corporate venture firms, even though the businesses themselves might be extremely competitive when you think about in investing, investing in a, in, a, in a company that might have to sell to multiple large insurers, you actually don't mind if you're co-investing alongside, you know, some of your, your competitors in those cases, because you're, you're, you're looking for not just the partnership to be successful, but you're looking for that financial return to be successful. So it's, it's a little counterintuitive. We're, we're not just making introductions into Nationwide, you know, we're, we're also helping to make introductions into sort of the broader insurance, uh, you know, industry. Yeah, um, and it, there, there's something to be said for strong brands on your cap table, right? Kind of the right people believing also and believing enough to, to invest capital. So I, I, I think that's phenomenal. Now, Nationwide Ventures couldn't be located in a better city. I know I'm partial. But from Louisville to Columbus, and growing a venture firm, and then seeing what's happening in the city, right, with Root and Upstart, we're getting some attention. but still. As I talk to investors, there's a lot that goes on outside of Columbus still. And and that's fair, right? Most of the money still goes outside of Columbus. Let's talk about the ecosystem as you see it. And then your thoughts on venture and the role venture has to play in building the Columbus ecosystem, taking us to the next level. Yeah, it's so interesting to have these conversations in Columbus because we used to have these conversations in Louisville. Louisville is is just Population wide is it, it is smaller, right? And but we always had these same these same frustrations, which is like, where's the angel money? Where's the seed money? Where's the Series A money? Why are these companies leaving to go raise money? And it's it's just it's such a fascinating conversation because I feel like every small ecosystem has to have these concerns, right? But I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't live here today if it wasn't for Drive Capital. Uh, the reason I live here today is because my fiance raised money from Drive Capital in 2014. He moved here. We were long distance for a number of years. And then eventually I was like, you know what? It looks like something's happening in Columbus. You're going to be here for a while. I'm going to find a job here too. And I took my time doing it. And I, and I really love the team that I'm on. 
but you know, you you know, you, you have to give credit to to the folks who who sort of believed in this ecosystem and have kept investing in it. And they're not the only ones, right? You've got Rev One that's been here for you know even before that, right? But the capital in an ecosystem it, it can it, it can it can change you know the outcome of of cities. And I and I and I think that it is is worth acknowledging. I mean, you you have companies like Beam now. You have Ruth that just IPO'd, and you know that that is good for an ecosystem because it becomes a magnet that draws in talent and you have OSU that was already pumping out talent and that talent can go a ton of different places. But when you're pumping out software engineers and they have a great place to go to locally, you get to keep them here. They have their families here. And when, when you have an IPO, well, you might've given some liquidity opportunities to, to people who can now go take their risk, right? They have a little bit of a cushion. So now they can go start something. They built domain expertise. I mean, I'm kind of hoping there's this like sort of vicious cycle of insurance because you've, you've got Grange in Columbus, you've got Nationwide, you've got the state, there's, you know, all these, all these kind of different folks here in the ecosystem. And now you've got these insure techs building companies here and they're growing, right? You've got, you've got 200, 900,000, thousand employee, you know, insure techs growing that will hopefully um, start spinning out their own little insure tech babies. And then, and then you've just got, you know, this, this natural, beautiful flywheel. And so, you know, I I hope that we can, you know, contribute to that, you know, nationwide today has partnerships with several insure techs in Columbus. And I'm, I'm sort of hoping we can find, we can find, you know, some to invest in um, as well. Okay, well, you heard her. She's looking, always looking, all right? So she's on LinkedIn. You can go to the nationwideventures.com website. You can get in touch with them. Uh, You can start a conversation. All right. Now, um, most people look to venture uh, for just capital. Uh, And, you know, it's kind of being like a a rich person. You don't know if people really want you or they just want you for your money, right? Um, Let's talk about the future of venture and kind of how maybe venture can reinvent itself, right? To really get the word out, change the PR about it, uh, and 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 play the role that I know venture is fully capable of, capable of. Where do you see venture over the next five to ten years? Yeah, and, and I actually want to hear your answer too because you've been talking to other VCs, so you you've probably got an opinion also. Um, yeah, I think I think it's been wonderful to see um, you know this this advocacy for for more diversity of, of mindset, you know, coming into into venture. That that's Absolutely crucial. I, I think, you know, what we've seen as, as we've been building our team is that, you know, you have people who come from backgrounds in investment banking and consulting, which is sort of like the traditional backgrounds that, that you think of. But then you're pulling people in like myself, right? I'm a dancer turned engineer. I just I just look at the world a little bit differently. And I think the more that we can continue to bring people into venture who see the world a little bit differently, whose life experiences were different. You're going to look at companies, you're going to look at markets entirely differently, and you're going to end up choosing the founders to invest in that might not look like um, or sound like what, what, what sort of the market has seen today. And I think there's so much opportunity there. I mean, there are markets, you know, let, let's, let's, let's return to that aging, aging market, right? The retirement space right now, right? I think there is such a need to serve, you know, the, the aging market. You know, people are living longer. Uh, retirement can be a third of your life. And, and there's so much, there's so many statistics coming out that, that we're uncovering because of COVID when you're seeing how much time, you know, uh, folks as they get older, how much time they end up spending alone. Social isolation is like, is a legitimate health problem that we have today. Um, and I think more and more people are sort of being exposed to it. They're thinking about it. So more people are starting companies in it. 
and, and then there's going to be something, there's going to be more things to invest in. So I think you need that cycle of people to be aware of the problem, have enough ability to, and sort of enough cushion to start solving the problem and taking that risk. And then you need to have the venture, the VCs on the other end to acknowledge that and, and to invest in those companies. And I, I'm kind of hopeful we'll see that cycle improve, you know, over the next five years. Yeah, wonderful. And yeah, I mean, you asked for it, so I'm going to give it to you too, yeah. right? So the Midwest is kind of that, that Midwest humility and kind of a sense of community. I think number one is really building community, right? So venture has a very, very important role in building community and more collaboration over competition. I think that's number one. Number two, when we start to throw out big numbers in terms of amounts being invested uh, in the size of some of these exits, I think for people who are not familiar with the business world, they're not familiar with startups, there can be a little bit of the, um, oh, these are the rich. And you know, um, with income inequality issues, when you have bread lines and soup lines and food kitchens, and then on the other end, we hear about all these companies that are raising large amounts of money or having big exits, and there isn't kind of a communication about really what that means, and, and then a, a, a feeling of a shared social burden where mm -hmm. the successes of the startup world in Columbus can be shared with people who maybe aren't directly participating. I think those are two important things that really weigh on me. You know, how do we become a community that's self-supporting? We collaborate over, over competing. And then how do, we, how do we deal with the real societal implications of a widening uh, 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 inequality gap? So th those are just my thoughts. And, and uh, hopefully I'll have a chance to have more conversations around those things in 2021 as we start to have fireside chats and stuff like that around social issues. Well, this has been a very, very interesting conversation. I really appreciate it. We could talk about dance all day. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, we could talk about venture all day. Um, but is there anything else on your mind um, that as you think about this world of investing or companies that you're looking at that you kind of want to, Close on anything else that we didn't cover in our conversation. I, I think I just want to make myself, uh, you know, available. I think I, I have it feeling, feeling that comfort, right? I, I think if you're hanging out in the startup ecosystem or in the venture community, you can, you can jump on Twitter and you can see a lot of great, you know, thought leaders, you know, speaking their mind. And, and I think it can be, you know, sometimes intimidating or, or, or curious whether, whether you should, you should have a voice or not. And I, and I think, you know, I, I'm trying to do that um, because I want people to know that, you know, our, our team is, is in Columbus. You know, these are the things that we invest in. Um, and we, we are here and, and we are willing, you know, ab absolutely willing to, to take meetings and to meet with folks um, and, and to give feedback and, and to take a look at companies. So I think, you know, maybe that's the only thing, you know, I want to mention is, you know, we are accessible and, and pleased to reach out, you know, LinkedIn, et cetera. I want to do a better job of continuing to participate in the Columbus ecosystem. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Amelia. I got to leave. Uh, the conversation here. We'll continue it in another format, but I always give my one takeaway. And the, the, the thing that I think persisted throughout our conversation was your willingness to uh, not overly focus on whether or not your resume qualifies you to do something, whether that feels like you taking a step up or maybe in the case of when you took the social media position and you were in, in your master's degree for engineering and just your willingness to take that step to find opportunity where maybe you weren't, you know, being an engineer, but you were still part of a team and contributing. I think that's what I admire about you most. I think a lot of us get stuck on whether or not our resume qualifies us for these things. And in a lot of cases, it's like getting a job based on experience 
<laughs> when nobody will hire you, right? At some point, you have to qualify yourself and maybe in some cases, create an opportunity where one does not exist. Thank you guys so much for joining me on another episode. Peace. That's a wrap. You can find this in all our episodes on our website, 614startups.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and write a review. If you would like updates sent to your inbox, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the website. To engage in the 614 Startups community, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 614startups to join the conversation. For sponsorship opportunities and collaborations, email us at info at 614startups.com. It takes a village to do a podcast, and I would like to say a special thank you to my friends at Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to enhance the production of 614 Startups, and we are so happy with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in sonic branding, songwriting, and music production for companies and creatives. To learn more about them, go to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com.